Are you looking for a new job? Are you hiring but struggling to find diverse and talented candidates? Then we have something that can help, our job board. Head on over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to browse listings or to place your own. This week on the job board, MoneyThink is looking for a product designer in the San Francisco Bay Area. For just $99, you can post your job listing with us where it will be on our job board for 30 days and we'll spread the word about your job to our diverse audience of listeners. We also offer annual job board subscriptions. Make sure to head over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs for more info on this listing. Apply today and tell them you heard about the job through Revision Path. Get started with us and expand your job search today. Revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Revision Path. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry. And before we get into this week's interview, I just want to take some time out and thank our accessibility sponsor for this episode, Brevity and Wit. Brevity and Wit is a strategy and design firm committed to designing a more inclusive and equitable world. They accomplish this through graphic design, presentations, and workshops around IDEA, inclusion, diversity, equity, and accessibility. If you're curious to learn how to combine a passion for IDEA with design, check them out at brevityandwit.com. Brevity and Wit, creative excellence without the grind. This episode is also sponsored by Poster House. If you're in New York City, head to Poster House in the Flatiron District to check out Julius Klinger Posters for a Modern Age, an exhibition Stephen Heller from Print Magazine calls a trove of modern design innovation. And Freak Power, an exhibition about Hunter S. Thompson's run for sheriff described as visually striking by the New York Times. Head to www.posterhouse.org and book your ticket today. All right, let's get to this week's interview, which is a bit of an update if you've been following the show for a while. I'm talking with Tiffany Middleton, Senior Art Director at FanDuel in Brooklyn, New York. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. Hi, so I'm Tiffany Middleton, and I am currently a Senior Art Director at FanDuel in New York City. I've been here for about six months, and before FanDuel, I spent about four to five years at ESPN on the digital team and then on a social media team. Wow. How's the year kind of been going so far, aside from, I guess, starting this new job? Oh, man. I guess I would go back to, I guess, 2020 of like how it started and then where I'm at now. So like I said, before FanDuel, I was at ESPN, and... I think life for me there was like kind of getting to do your dream job and then coming to a point of like wanting a change a little bit. It's like I grew up on ESPN. It was everything for me. I'm a big sports fan. Mm -hmm. And when coronavirus happened to bring it up, I feel like it kind of changed my perspective on not just my life, but also my career in a way where it just made me kind of take a pause and, and think about like, what I was doing and if that was the right direction for me. 
was kind of at a point in my career where I felt like I had achieved everything that I wanted to achieve at ESPN. I feel like I learned so much there. I feel like it was one of those, I compare it to the Warriors of like, it's a, it's a well-oiled machine. Like it's so many talented designers there. Like there's always great work, but I guess I kind of like to put it in a a sports perspective of like taking a chance on myself and kind of like KD leaving the Warriors and coming to Brooklyn. So that's what I feel like I did. Um, And I feel like a lot of that happened off of coronavirus because it just, it paused everything. It changed it. So it's been going pretty great. It was definitely an adjustment, a different system. So it's, it's been like relearning everything I thought I knew mm-hmm. from perspective. Now, did you take a break between leaving ESPN and starting at FanDuel or did you just kind of go right into it? I pretty much had like two days off and I was back into it. Damn, what? <laughs> you got to <laughs> give yourself a break. Wow, two days and you just went right back into it? Oh, that's the thing. Ever since I've been a kid, like my goal has been to be like a successful designer. So it's like, I didn't know what a break was like since the last time we talked to six years, I probably I've probably only taken like one vacation that's been more than like four days. Like I usually go on vacation and I take my computer. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's like I didn't know how to take a break. So it's like coronavirus made me kind of realize I needed to take a break in life. And mm-hmm. then it also changed my perspective of like design and how I can use that more for like a spiritual more like people impacting versus like a success thing i try to use my design in a way of like helping other you know black people get into design and find different careers kind of outside the box versus like doing design to kind of like build my own career in a way like i feel like i'm settled in my career and i feel like now i'm at a spot where i'm really interested in like mentorship and helping other people out and then like collaborating with other designers and also just spreading more awareness about like design in general for like black people. I want to go back just a, a little bit to ESPN because of course, you know, during the the pandemic last year, sports were kind of, everything sort of took a pause, you know, especially major sporting events. How did that really affect your day-to-day work at ESPN when everything is like revolving around regular sporting events? So what I did at ESPN right before I left, I worked on like the digital content team. So a lot of our work wasn't your day to day like sports on TV. It was more of a very like secluded market. And like we did a lot of stories based off of sports, but they were like these long form digital visual storytelling pieces. So we we told a lot of stories that were kind of like about sports and involved into sports, but none of our day to day work revolved around like the sports games so for us i think one of the departments that probably had a biggest impact of like we were working even more because we were doing a lot of evergreen stuff before sports stopped so once it stopped it's like we started to do more work because like more work more traffic on the site because there wasn't these live games so i i honestly started working more when the coronavirus happened but i was at home but i was working more So it was a different pace, but you start to burn out a little bit quicker than you would in an office. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I can imagine because you're now having to work from home. And I think it's something, certainly when I had guests on the show last year, that was just a big thing for a lot of people to to get over because your home is sort of your 
your refuge away from work. And now the two locations have merged and you have to kind of find a way to compartmentalize that. Yeah, it's like it's no break. And then I got a puppy. So it was just like I never had a break. I had no space. And still, you know, while I was there, they start to have layoffs during coronavirus. So it's like I started to see the impact of it for like coworkers and friends. So it started to kind of like mentally it became a tough situation. Because it's like, there's no sports. Our sports going to come back. You know, eventually the coronavirus did affect our team. So right before I left, I had a couple of coworkers that did get laid off. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it was just like a lot happening at once. And then you see it so close up of like the effects of people. Like luckily, you know, I personally wasn't laid off. But just having people that I've worked with for like four and five years lose their jobs. It takes a mental toll on you. Yeah. I know exactly what that's like. I mean, I I was working at a startup last year going into the pandemic, and I think it was maybe about two months. Actually, it was right around this time that we're recording, right around this time, right around Memorial Day, that they laid off my entire department, just like gone. And yeah, it does take a toll on you because, you know, you say that, that part about having to learn how to take a break. I had to learn how to take a break really quickly because... I went from this, you know, kind of go, 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 rush, rush, rush all the time, traveling with work to now just you're at home. And granted, I was in, you know, I'm in Atlanta and there wasn't really that much of a of a lockdown period. But still, it was it takes a toll on you. It really does. Yeah. And see, I was in Connecticut, so it was already feeling like a lockdown place. Mm -hmm. Uh, When coronavirus happened, it was like a complete lockdown. Wow. Let's fast forward to kind of what you're doing now. You mentioned you're a senior art director at FanDuel. What does a a typical day look like for you? So my role at ESPN was more so like hands-on, like building websites and working with developers and kind of taking about like a month or two per project where it's like a FanDuel. Not only am I managing a team, so I'm responsible for everything FanDuel fantasy and like TVG products and FanDuel racing. And then like just overseeing the designers on my team, approving work, and then also creating work myself and then figuring out different systems and trying to like rearrange systems that they have in place currently and just figure out, you know, new processes. So it's like I went from kind of like 90% design to like 50% design and then 50% like emails, people managing, processing, strategy. I'm definitely enjoying it. Like it's definitely a different role. So it's just making me see things in a different light and understanding like the intricacies of like having a great system. Mm. Is it different going from a media company to, well, FanDuel is what, like entertainment slash gambling sort of, right? Yeah. Maybe gambling is not the right word to use there. <laughs> I don't know if that's the word we want to use, but essentially it's, I would say more of like, because I've been playing fantasies, so I'll say it's kind of like a getaway for sports of like people still watch sports, but I think like, especially with social media and Instagram and things like that, something that I did notice at ESPN was like people were less likely watching TV. I think they started to do with a lot of court cutting where I feel like, at a company like FanDuel, adding like an incentive of like betting or fantasy or just being able to play with your friends and kind of like watch a game with like a little bit more 
investing into it makes it more like more longevity with the legs of sports mm-hmm. um, that you're competing with everything else on social media these days. So yeah, making that switch from essentially storytelling and this very like print style magazine type of like foundational design to more like we do a lot of marketing assets on this end. It's a faster pace, a different type of strategy, a different audience that you're looking at. Also at ESPN, I was kind of working on like user experience and UX and UI. So like going from a UX and UI back to kind of like marketing design, it definitely took some adjusting to do. Oh yeah. Going from that sort of product-based work to more, I guess, kind of like print and web sort of almost. It's a big shift. Yeah. It was like, I was using Figma and Sketch at ESPN for my last three years. Uh And now Photoshop. So it's like (laughs) having to almost like go back to college. Um, (laughs) The product world is very much different than marketing. So yeah, it's just, it's a whole, like I said, it's a whole different thought process. What does the design team at FanDuel look like? So we have like an ACD above me. So he manages our whole department. And so it's him and then it's me and my counterpart. And so I oversee half the house and my counterpart oversees the other half of the house. So we have, like I said, I do like fantasy and racing. So racing includes like TBG, which is like a horse racing product. And then like FanDuel racing, which is like our in-house horse racing product. And then my counterpart, he does FanDuel Sportsbook and then FanDuel Casino. And then under us, it's like senior and junior and like regular designers. And then we have like a copywriting team that we work like counter with. And then we have a project managing team that we work with. So it's a bigger team than, well, not bigger, but a little bit more diverse as far as like the copywriters, editors, and designers on our team as a whole. Like when we're on meetings, we're all together. Versus Mm -hmm. at ESPN, a lot of our meetings were more like just in the design department. I did work with a lot of writers, but not as like closely as, we work with our copywriters and project managers at FanDuel. Have you all started to kind of go back into the office yet or is it still remote? We're still remote. So I haven't met any of my coworkers in person. I've only seen them on Zoom. (laughs) (laughs) And you've been there now, like you said, for just a couple of months now. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, hopefully soon once, you know, these mandates lift, I feel like there's already this rush to get back to normal. I'm using air quotes over here. So that'll probably happen sooner rather than later. When it comes to like working on new projects, what does that creative process look like? Because like you said, the team is pretty varied in the structure and even the the type of designers that you have. So I think the biggest difference, especially from ESPN to this job is that like at ESPN, a lot of the projects it was a free range of like the imagery you could use as far as the athletes. Whereas at FanDuel, we have to use a lot of stock imagery or like more of your foundational design stuff. Okay. So when we're concepting, it's like you really have to rely on your design skills versus at ESPN. I felt like if you have a nice photo of LeBron and like great typography, it's a pretty solid design. Whereas here you have to really work to kind of use what you have. Hmm. And that's because you're not necessarily working directly with the teams or with the photographers. Yeah. You have to kind of sell the the concept of sports without the actual athletes in that way. Exactly. So it, it's a different task. Mm-hmm. 
when you look back at some of the work that you've done, like over the past, like five to six years, it could be stuff at FanDuel, it can be stuff at ESPN or whatever. What have been some of your favorite projects? Oh, that is a very hard one. I think my favorite project is going to be a project I did right before LeBron's time with the Lakers. It was like, so we hired an artist from every state where every NBA team is and did like these LeBron billboards, Mm -hmm. which is a pretty like cool project. It took a lot of time just finding the right artists in the right states and then like collecting their work. And then we did kind of like a website part to it. But just seeing like the different artists come up with these different concepts that are like very true to their states and very true to the teams that they were trying to get LeBron to come to was probably my hands down favorite project. I mean, it became a big deal of like in Louisiana, I think they actually put up some of the billboard. Somebody purchased the art and they put up billboards in Louisiana. And then the L.A. one was like pretty great, which the artist who did that ended up putting those on like a T-shirt. And I had one. So, yeah, it was just like one of those projects that you don't really get a lot of chances to work on. So I was like very grateful to have been assigned that project. But it also took a whole lot of work. So I was excited for it to be done with. But still, when I look back, I think that's probably one of the funnest projects I worked on throughout my career. Mm. Now, when I had you back on the show back in, in 2016, you were in Dallas. You were you were just starting out at Panini America, which is a, I think it's a, remember, it's a company, I think they make uh, like trading cards, right? Yeah. Like sports trading cards. How did you end up getting connected with ESPN and eventually making it to New York? So super funny, but Twitter. So <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, it's Twitter is the funniest thing. So right when we probably were chatting, maybe like two months before that, I actually had applied for a job at ESPN. They flew me out. I met one of the creative directors there via Twitter and he connected me with a potential job. I went to Connecticut and I ended up not getting the job. And I was devastated, like super sad. But then like a month or two later, I ended up getting the job in Panini America. And probably like two months after we talked, if not sooner, I got an email from the same creative director and he reached out about like a potential part-time job with ESPN, um, working on Snapchat at the time. Snapchat Discover was not a thing, but that's kind of how I started. So I was working at Panini America full-time and then I started working with ESPN part-time. And within a year, they offered me like a part-time position in Connecticut, but I was hesitant to kind of move for a part-time position, but they made things work to where it worked out logistically for me. So I ended up leaving the job in Dallas after a year, moving to Connecticut, working part-time for like a couple of months. And then I ended up getting the opportunity to work full-time, which I switched from the social media team to the digital content team. So it was kind of like this blessing in disguise that I didn't even know. Like I said, before we talked, I had got denied from ESPN and I was devastated. And then within a year, like I was in Connecticut working there. And um, yeah, it was like a full circle moment. Mm. How was it adjusting to the city and everything? I moved from Dallas to Connecticut. So I've been in Connecticut pretty much the last five years or so. Okay. Um, and then I met friends in Connecticut and we would spend a lot of time in New York City. And so eventually I was like, I need to move to New York because I don't know if you've ever been to Connecticut, but it's not a lot to do there, especially compared to like <laughs> Dallas or New York. Like it's nothing to do there except for work. 
So I always moved to Connecticut envisioning that I would live in New York City. I just didn't think I would be in Connecticut that long. So coming to New York has been a big adjustment, but I don't think I've really experienced New York because coronavirus. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. That makes not sense. Not like living here. Like I've been here like on the weekends, but I haven't lived here when it wasn't coronavirus, but it's starting to pick back up. But just being here for five or six months, like the amount of black creatives that I've been able to meet compared to like living in Connecticut or even Dallas is like 10 times the fold. Oh, really? Okay. So many more like black creatives, just different people that I would not have crossed paths with in life if I hadn't lived like in New York and especially within Brooklyn itself. Now, are these other black designers in the sports and entertainment industry or just like black designers in general? So some like a handful are probably in sports and entertainment. And then some are just within the industry of just like creative and fashion. But actually at ESPN, I did meet a lot of black creatives. Some weren't designers, but like photographers, videographers, producers, just a wide range. So it's like. ESPN was very much majority like white, but I did meet a lot of black people that were creative, like just within smaller groups. Nice. That's good to know. I mean, I would imagine, like you said, with the pandemic, that does make it difficult now to really meet folks. I can't wait to go back to New York. I didn't like it when I used to work for a company in New York. I didn't like it because I would go to New York and I think, oh, work. But before then, like I loved going to New York. So I'm looking forward to to going back up there when I don't have to work and just kind of like experiencing the city. New York is, is fun. It's fun. I don't know if I could ever live there. So props to you for that, but (laughs) (laughs) it's a great city, especially for, like you said, meeting other, other black creatives and stuff. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Did it take a lot to kind of adjust to the city? I think because the last two years I've been back and forth. So I like, I kind of in the neighborhood. I had friends that lives pretty close. So it's like I got here, everything kind of just centered around me. Like I already kind of had people that I knew. Uh-huh. Um, I already had spots that I knew. But I think it's definitely different than Connecticut because it moves very fast. Like there's a lot going on. And me growing up in the South, like every time my family comes up to New York, they absolutely hate it after like 24 <laughs> hours. <laughs> like, it's overload of people overload of things like it's just an overload yeah. so sometimes it can be tiring but i also live in brooklyn so it's i feel like brooklyn is more like a neighborhood versus like if you go to manhattan it's more of that new york city vibe whereas yeah. brooklyn is just it's chill but it's it's still you never really know what you're gonna get when you walk outside yeah i mean certainly i mean there's parts of brooklyn that are like that most places that I've been to in Manhattan, unless you're like going further up, like near Harlem or like Washington Heights or something, or at least to me, it hasn't felt as claustrophobic as if you're like down in say the financial district or something like that. But no, Brooklyn is fun. Brooklyn's a fun time. Yeah, no, it's very fun. It's very quaint. It's also very small. Like once you get used to it. Yeah. Nice. That's really nice. So let's talk about trenches now, I remember when I had you back on the show, you were talking about In the Trenches, which was this uh, the site that you had created to to kind of talk about Black designers in the sports and entertainment industry. Is Has Trenches kind of evolved from that concept? I think it's evolved as I've evolved, right? Like I said, early on in my career, very focused on just 
design, design, design. And I think the older I got, the more I really started to look at the spaces that I was in work-wise and realizing that, like, why am I the only black designer? And then looking into, like, sports in general and, like, why is there only, like, 10 of us? Feeling like you're in a box that you can't quite get out of. And so, for me, trenches kind of started to evolve around just black creatives in general. So I'm I'm kind of still in this, like, in-between of, like, it's sports, but I'm also trying to break it out more into like culture and music because I I feel like sports is very black on the field but within the front offices it's usually very non-black I try really hard to focus on black designers in the sports industry but you just start to kind of run into the same people because it's hard to let us in so I, I've been working with a mentee and she got a job like in the sports industry and working in the NFL. And I was really proud of that. But it's like we're still just fighting just to get in. Last year, I ended up like teaming up with some of my friends who some worked at ESPN, some worked at the NBA. They're all black women. And we did like a Zoom conference where it was just like black women in the sports industry. And it was just designers, editors, social media managers and that for me kind of like changed the wheel again because it was something near and dear to me like being a black woman seeing that many black people that were kind of experiencing the same thing i was experiencing it it made it feel more true to me so that's kind of where trenches have evolved is going from like sports and design to more just our experiences as black women or black creatives in this industry they're like we sometimes don't seem to exist or even when we get there we're dealing with issues that a lot of our counterparts aren't dealing with are even when you know I think sports is on the general it's so hard to get into and a lot of times people break into it by doing these free internships but the reality is there's not a lot of people of color especially black people that can kind of afford to take this free job and have their parents you know take care of them for a year or so without getting an income and I think sometimes that pushes us behind and then sometimes I've seen where people you know, essentially hire people that are the same as them. So it just started to see to seem like a lot of different obstacles that were coming up for black people to be in the sports industry. So it's something I'm still fighting for, but it's evolving more into like a cultural thing because I feel like black people have more space to kind of like own their own thing in culture and music versus in sports. It just seems like until the gatekeepers really focus on bringing in black creatives in the sports industry is always going to be like a tooth and nails fight. Interesting. I didn't even think of how maybe these specific kind of niches of design would still unfortunately really have this big diversity problem. And and the reason I'm saying this is because over the past few years, as I've done the show, I mean, there has been an influx of black designers in product and UX like crazy. And I don't know if it's because of boot camps or because of other programs or stuff, but like you can go in a major city and like swing your bag around and hit like a dozen black UX folks. It's kind of astonishing in a way. I didn't even think about how in something like sports and entertainment that there's not that many black designers that are are kind of making the graphics and stuff like that. Why do you think that's the case? Is it because of the kind of like old boys network? I think it's an old boys network. And I'll be honest, I think for me, like I started to notice it with trenches because 
once I started tweeting out stuff about like Black Lives Matter and like Black designers, like the more I started tweeting about Black people, the less like interaction I started to get. Because I have ran trenches as if it was like this well like old company and I had kept it very like corporate, not really personal. And last year when like the George Floyd thing happened, it became more personal to me. That's when I really, really started to realize like, oh, like they're not interacting that much. And I think that kind of made me switch it up because I just felt like, you know, for years, there are a lot of followers that I could kind of name like off the top of my head. Like people were very into trenches, but when it became about humans, it Mm. was less support. It was less interaction. It was losing followers. So me being a black queer woman, I just was like, I couldn't fake the funk anymore. Like it wasn't as important to me as like, livelihood was i wanted to more so create a platform and a space for people like me that weren't really included in in those rooms versus people that had always kind of been entitled to that room so i I felt like trenches was becoming something where even i wasn't being accepted in it as i was Mm. you said something really interesting there i want to kind of draw out a little bit where you said once you started talking about humans like Humans play sports too. And I'm not saying that in a, in a bad way as to how you say it, but I know like there seems to be, and this has probably gone back. We're talking like decades, like probably OJ and even past them, but like there's this uh, something about America and seeing black athletes. They just don't want politics in their sports. They, they want yeah. sports to be this like idyllic. I don't necessarily want to say Lily White, but they want it to be this idyllic, like problem free environment that's just about like the game. And that's that's not the case, especially when you have black people that are the majority of the players. Yeah, I mean, we could talk about this all day, but <laughs> like it's a system, right? Because the real thing for me is like, like I said, I grew up on ESPN. I loved it to death. Yeah. Um. I grew up on Slam Magazine, but something I didn't realize up until recently was it was not those companies that I was in love with or that I loved. It was that the guys on the field and women on the field, they reminded me of the people I grew up with. I was able to see people that looked like us on the big screen. And that's what I was attracted to. So I think once I got to those companies, I started to realize that like, the people on TV aren't the people I'm working with. So it's like they controlled our narrative. And and I started to really realize that of they control our narrative. And I think what I like about LeBron so much is that he was one of the first players that I feel like truly started to own his own narrative. Like I love Michael Jordan to death. I think he's the greatest athlete ever. But if you really think about Michael Jordan, the executives at Nike owned the narrative of who he was supposed to be and who they wanted him to be and who mm-hmm. they made him be. And so I think when designers are designing these graphics, they're just essentially using these basketball players and football players that are essentially like characters with the tattoos and the dreadlocks and the braids. And they're looking cool on these graphics. But if they walked into a store at their homes and they didn't have those big names, they might call the cops on them. And that's why I said the humans of like, Once I started talking about real heart to heart stuff of like things that we have to deal with as black people, nobody wanted to entertain it. 
I don't want to be like an athlete that's just plant like shut up and dribble. Like when I'm shutting up and tweeting what you want to see, you're cool with it. But when I tweet something that's like serious, nobody wants to talk about it. Or when I tweet about you guys should hire more black designers. Well, they're not qualified. Well, why aren't they qualified? Is it that they can't afford to be in these schools or is it that like they have the talent, but it's not what you're looking for? Because for me, I've always thought art is subjective. So I think there is good design and there's bad design, but there is a lot in between. And so I've seen a lot of black designers get passed up on roles just because their work wasn't the way a white designer is. But yeah. I also realized that a lot of people were getting hired from roles for people whose work I would be tweeting out. So I just started to feel like I was supporting more non-black designers than I was black designers. And that just didn't sit right for me because I feel like it took me a while to just get my foot into the industry. Yeah. And I think the people that did let me into those doors, they were all people of color. They were either people of color or like, white men who weren't from America. So my boss at ESPN, he is from London. So it, it just was something that it just was so apparent that I couldn't not notice it. Yeah. So that's kind of why I kind of stepped away from like the sports design thing and just started to focus more on like black creatives. Cause I would find like a lot of like beautiful art in Brooklyn or beautiful photographers or things like that. But their work wouldn't be sports centered, but I just felt like it still needs to be shown and talked about, especially because once I did start speaking about black lives or I put out like the protect black women shirts, 90% of my sales, 90% of like the interactions was all black people. It just changed the perspective of like, I don't want to be a sellout. And it just felt like I was at that moment without realizing it. Interesting. I have to say, you know, even like coming to that realization shows, I think, your growth as a person and as a designer to be able to really survey the field and see that that's sort of, you know, what's happening and how you can help to counteract that. Like one one of the yeah. things that I, I present when I talk about Revision Path, I tell people to not just be an observer of the problem, but to work to like try to be the solution because it can be real easy to just see, look at the the landscape and see that things are messed up. And that's all you talk about is how messed up it is, but you're not doing anything to counteract that or to like be actively against that. So yeah, no, I think that what you're doing with taking trenches in that direction is a great thing. And I can tell you, like, even just from doing this show for, for however 400 plus episodes, like the tide is, is turning in some ways, but it's it's interesting to see how even in industries like sports and entertainment, particularly in sports, that that's not the case. Yeah, it is definitely not the case. <laughs> wow. So aside from from trenches, you mentioned this uh, protect black women shirt. Are there like any other projects that you're working on? That was the last one. I do want to relaunch it because I feel like it has more legs, and I have some stuff planned for like the upcoming year. But I'm trying to figure out all the logistics. So it's just stay tuned for it. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like the way that the year is going now. It's, of course, so different from last year. It's like you're kind of trying to like get your rhythm back in a way, you know, after a year of not really being able to do what you do, you kind of have to sort of ease back into it a bit. Like I'm trying to think of what other stuff I would want to do creatively this year. And I don't know. I need time to, to think about that. So that makes sense. Now, back when I had you on the show, I keep mentioning our old interview, but 
you told me then that your dream project would be working with Nike. Is that something that's still on your like design bucket list? That has changed completely. <laughs> so I think for me, like the difference between me six years ago and me now is like going back to what I just said about just fully stepping into like my blackness and understanding that every room I walk into, people are going to see my color first. And I don't ever want to take a job where I feel like I might have to lose a part of my culture in like the surroundings of where I'll be. So for me, like a is like I visited Portland. I never visited before, but I I went there last year, like right before coronavirus. And my time at ESPN was great. It changed my life. It was a great experience. But I would probably not want to live in a place where like the population is like less than twenty percent black and very not diverse. And so. A, I would just not want to live in Portland. And then B, I think, again, kind of going back to like growing up on ESPN, especially growing up on Nike. Like, I mean, every shoe I own is pretty much a Nike shoe, except for like Adidas. But realizing that all of these companies, the one thing they have in common that I gravitate a lot towards to is black culture. And I think for me now is like I'm realizing that I have what I was looking for and I can kind of do my own thing with it. And I also feel like not to take anything at Nike or any other company, but like sometimes it just feels like it's capitalizing on black culture, especially when it's such a big brand. And that's kind of changed my thoughts about it. Cause like I said, six years ago, I'm just thinking like logistical design stuff, not thinking about any like a culture perspective or from a person to person perspective. And now it's like the older I get, I'm like, I would love to work at Nike. I think they do great design, but I also wouldn't want to take a job where I feel like my mental health or like my ability to be around my culture might be limited in a way mm-hmm. or like capitalizing on black culture and not really giving back to it. So yeah, I think I'm more, I think I've turned into like this humanitarian type of person. Um, Yeah, I I would love to work with Nike. I would love to collaborate with Nike. But working at Nike, like as an in-house designer, those thoughts are a little bit less now. I have what I was looking for. That is such a powerful (laughs) statement to say. And you're right about how these these companies, particularly Nike, I mean, leans on on blackness a lot. I mean, look at their marketing. I mean, shit, look look at Kaepernick. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, like I said, I think they do great work, but if we're being real and you look in the front office, yeah, like they may not have a lot of black executives. And I'm one of those people, it might be contradictory or like people might disagree with this, but I want to see black people in roles that aren't like diversity and inclusion or HR roles. Like I want mm-hmm. to see a black design manager. I want to see black people in those roles at Nike where like, they're doing the same jobs as white counterparts, but they just happen to be black. Not that they're in roles where like it's is like a role made for a black person. Like I just feel like they can add more diversity to like the office side. In one of your recent tweets, you said the older I get, the more I simplify. How have you simplified your life over the past few years? Oh gosh, let's see. I think decluttered is like the number one word. 
not just decluttered my home, decluttered my mind, decluttered my thoughts, but I've decluttered my design process a lot. I think younger me is more into like, what's the coolest design I can come up with versus now it's like, what is the most practical design I can come up with? What design can I create that isn't going to cause any like issues with legibility, any confusion? Like very big into simple. I love fashion. So I have to like use Kanye as an example of Kanye from graduation was wearing like backpacks and polo outfits and like lots of colors and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And now Kanye seems like he wears the same thing every day, but he's reserving his energy more so he can be more creative. And I start to realize that if I'm trying to like do the best design, every single design I do, I'm exhausting my energy. Yeah. And cost me to be less creative so now i'm being more intentional on like textures backgrounds fonts like the foundational thing is that i can kind of switch up so it's like kind of making this toolkit of like accessories or design tools that i use and i kind of like switch up and change around so i like still am able to be creative but i'm also boxing myself in to where i'm not exhausting my creative energy Kanye also got four kids. So like I I would imagine that cuts down a lot on, <laughs> on his own style. Just like look, give me something simple. <laughs> I was gonna say he's also a million billionaire, so like kids is I'm sure he has people to take care of them to That's true. more creativity. <laughs> <laughs> what keeps you motivated and inspired these days? Oh, let's see. I think black culture does. I'm big into music. So I think back in my day, I'm not even that old, but I feel like back in the day, like Lil Wayne, Missy Elliott, their music videos, like they used to get me so excited. Like the conceptual stories behind it, like the creativity, still feeling like true to nature, but seeing it on like the big screen, like those type of things get me excited. So music is continually being my inspiration for just motivated with design and then motivated on side projects or just motivated to do things that can potentially make a small change in this big world. At this point in your career, how do you define success? Oh, I would say success for me is a peace of mind. Yeah, I would say peace of mind, which seems very simple, but you know how sometimes you get the job you love, but like you never get any sleep. You're always tired. You're always stressed out. Like you are just running raggedy. So I think for me, it's like success does has nothing to do with money. It has nothing to do with awards and things like that. I think it's what gives me gratification, what gives me peace, what makes me feel like I've done what I need to do, but it just doesn't cause me regret or cause me a lot of problems. I just feel like peace, especially with everything going on, that is what I define as success. Like being able to do what I want to do, when I want to do, how I can do it without having somebody control that in a way. Yeah. That's the thing that I really love about kind of always having some sort of a side project or something. Like no matter where I work or what I do, I I know I'm always going to have something on the side that's like just mine that I can do. A hundred percent, no, you know, outside input or anything like that. So I feel you on that. Now, what advice would you give to, I actually asked this question (laughs) in the last interview. I said, like, what advice would you give your teenage self? But what advice would you give 2015 Tiffany to help prep her for the future? 
Oh, man. Patience. Like, just be patient because things are going to come. And they're going to come when they're supposed to come, not when you want them to come. And that every day may seem like a long day, but when you look back, they're short days. But to do something every day that will impact the next day. Now, what would you like the next chapter of your story to be? Like when you look at, let's say, the next five years, like what what kind of work do you want to be doing? Where do you want to be? All that sort of stuff. Oh, I think New York is my home for like the next five years at least. So I would definitely like to still be in New York. Um, I would like to do more community events like art shows, maybe like do some school programs, just do more awareness for black designers within sports and just black designers in general. And then I would also probably like to hop my foot back into the product world because I really love the thought process about that. So, yeah, just more like community events, probably bring trenches like outside the computer and have an outside event mm-hmm. and maybe dabble back into product eventually. I think that would be a great idea to do like a little summer meetup or something like that. Yeah, it would be great. When I started doing live shows for Revision Pack, which funny when when we had our interview, I wasn't even thinking about taking this offline. I was like, this is just going to stay a podcast, but I started doing live shows in 2017. And the great thing about doing a live in-person event for black designers is the actual space and community that it creates. It's not so much that you're like, oh, we're people in a place listening to someone or something like that. What it's doing is it's bringing folks together around a common theme that they may never have found a way to interact with each other in any other sort of way. So the fact that they've managed to come together in this one like space that you've made of a meetup or something like that. We've done live shows where people will be hanging around an hour after we're done, two hours after we're done. They've closed down the venue. People are still standing outside talking. And like, it makes me wonder like what connections have been made from those kinds of events. And if those connections would have even happened, if the event never happened. So like, I definitely love the the idea of doing some like live in person stuff. I mean, I, I was starting to do a tour in 2020 before the pandemic. We did a live show out in Los Angeles. That was great. Actually, we did our 300th episode in New York. That was, ooh, that was 2019. That was a whole other, I don't want to get into that story, but that was a whole, that was a whole other thing. But yeah, if you think about doing live events, like even just like a small, like, 20 person thing or something like that socially distanced do it it is such a good time not just for you as like the host of it but just for the community that you'll be able to bring together around a common cause yeah now it's it's actually something i'm kind of working on right now so we may have to connect later but yes it's not like it's something i was talking about with the team that i worked on like the zoom conference with yeah Um, and then like coronavirus happened and it was just like not working. But now that people are being outside again, it's definitely something that's in the works for me. Nice. Well, just to kind of wrap things up here, Tiffany, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work and everything online? So I'm big on Twitter. I love to tweet. Um, so you can follow my personal page. It's Tigga Tip. So T-I-G-G-A Tip on Twitter and then also Trenches just trenches underscore 
on Twitter and I'm also on Instagram and not Facebook, but Instagram and Twitter. So at Ticket to Personal and then Trenches for Instagram and Twitter. All right. Sounds good. Well, Tiffany Middleton, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show, coming back on the show, really. It's been so great to hear your story of how you have leveled up since I I first had you on the show. You know, back when I had you on back then, I remember saying how fun it was, how much of a treat it was to just like talk with you and get a sense of what you're doing. And I can hear the maturity and how much you've grown over the past six years just from this conversation. So I'm excited to see what comes next for you. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Big, big thanks to Tiffany Middleton. And of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Tiffany and her work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. And of course, thanks to our wonderful sponsor for this episode, Brevity and Wit. Brevity and Wit is a strategy and design firm committed to designing a more inclusive and equitable world. They accomplish this through graphic design, presentations, and workshops around IDEA, Inclusion, Diversity, Equity, and Accessibility. If you're curious to learn how to combine a passion for IDEA with design, check them out at brevityandwit.com. Brevity and Wit. Creative excellence without the grind. Also, if you're in New York City, head to Poster House in the Flatiron District to check out Julius Klinger Posters for a Modern Age, an exhibition Stephen Heller from Print Magazine calls a trove of modern design innovation. And Freak Power, an exhibition about Hunter S. Thompson's run for sheriff described as visually striking by the New York Times. Head to www.posterhouse.org and book your ticket today. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Maurice Cherry, with engineering and editing by RJ Basilio. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre, with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. So what did you think of the interview? Better yet, what do you think about the podcast overall? Don't be a stranger. Hit us up on Twitter or Instagram. Just search for Revision Path or leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Let the world know about the show because it really helps us grow and reach more people all around the world. I know I said world twice. Don't worry about that. As always, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.